Hi there. Before we begin, just a quick note. Due to the COVID-19 epidemic, this episode was recorded from our participants' homes using their available equipment. Naturally, you might hear some cracks and pops or some homey background noises. We hope this won't interfere with your enjoyment and recommend listening with headphones. In the meantime, until we get back to the studio, stay safe, healthy, and curious. Hello, and welcome to The SIP, the Smart Institute podcast, where we talk about all the things that media and communication bring to our doorstep. In each episode, we are joined by leading researchers and doctoral students from the Department of Communication and Journalism at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, who will dive into an intimate conversation about their academic research. In this fourth episode, we break down the issue of media witnessing with our guests, Professor Paul Foch and Professor Amit Pinchevsky. So sit down, pour some wine, and get smart. Hello, Paul. Hello, Amit. It's good to meet you via Zoom, if, if not for uh, any, any other way. Uh, in any, under any circumstances. <laughs> so uh, we thought we'll meet uh, and talk a bit about uh, media witnessing. Uh, the project that we were engaged in, and still in a way, right? It's a, still it's an ongoing show. Yep. Yeah. Uh, more than ten years ago, so just to make it kind of a round, nice number, let's call it media witnessing. Ten years after. Ten years after. Right. Let's begin with a co-introduction. So Paul Frosch is a full professor at the Department of Communication and Journalism at the Hebrew University. You did your PhD also at the department, right? I came to the department as an MA student and I never found the exit sign. That's right, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> and you work mainly on uh, visual culture, uh, consumer culture, that's media right. theory, uh, media and morality, right? And uh, in some of those, we also converge that's right. in our interests. That's right. And your most recent book is the Poetics of Digital Media, right? Yep. Which came out with uh, Polity last year? Was came it? out at the end of 2018. And let's say let's a say, year ago. Let's say okay. a year ago, because it actually depends where you live when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's Paul for you in less than 20 words or so. Okay, and Amit, you an associate professor in the Department of Communications at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And you joined the department in 2004, and I th you did your doctorate at McGill, also That's in, right. in, uh, in uh, media studies of communications. Well, I think your background is in political politics, political science, political theory. That's right. And you are interested in, in general, uh, philosophy of communication, media theory, um, ethical aspects of the limits of communication, pathologies of communication. Um, and you've written about the mediation of trauma and memory um, with historical examples being obviously the Eichmann trial. But more recently, you have published in your latest book, which is called Transmitted Wounds, Media and the Mediation of Trauma, which was published by Oxford University Press also about a year ago. Uh, you were there concerned, I think, with the relations between media technology um, and, uh, uh, and the way that they produce forms of trauma or memory. And we can go into how that's related to witnessing later on as well. If we have time. Yeah, if we have time. And, um, yeah, I, that, I think that, so? probably, that probably sums you up entirely. <laughs> ah, more so even. <laughs> In more ways than one. Yeah. Okay, so media witnessing. This is something that we've been working on and kind of on and off for a long time. And it's been fun and interesting, I, I think. It definitely has. Yeah, why don't we start, for those who might not know so much about it, uh, with a kind of a, how, of, of a kind of a general definition of what we mean by media witnessing. So you can find it on the very first page of our edited well, book. So I'll right? explain this. So, so we've called this, okay. media, this podcast Media Witnessing 10 Years After. And the, the reason for that is it's not really 10 years. It's a bit more than 10 years. Uh, Amit and I co-edited a book uh, in 2009 called Media Witnessing, Testimony in the Age of Mass Communication. And it included an introduction by ourselves and essays from 
a number of people who many of whom we will mention because they were crucial to the formation of some of the thinking around what media witnessing is included essays by then and in that book we we provided a definition um, of what media witnessing is so i'm gonna i'm gonna read out the opening paragraph and a half of our introductory essay which explains what we mean by media witnessing other people may not agree with this definition but this is the one we're offering for the moment and we will also put up on the program notes that accompany this podcast um, the text that I'm going to read up now so anyone who's listening you can follow this as I'm as I'm reading it out so um, this is from the introduction why media witnessing why now media witnessing teeters on the brink of tautology on the one hand every act of witnessing implies some kind of mediation most fundamentally putting an experience into language for the benefit of those who were not there. On the other hand, every act of mediation entails a kind of witnessing, particularly the use of technology as a surrogate for an absent audience. Yet the compound media witnessing implies more than the equivalence of its two terms, capturing something central to the practices of contemporary media, as well as to recent scholarly interest in the aesthetics ethics and politics of representation. We might begin with a simple definition. Media witnessing is the witnessing performed in, by and through the media. It is about the systematic and ongoing reporting of the experiences and realities of distant others to mass audiences. But this in turn requires further specification since media witnessing collapses a number of different semantic alignments among its two components. It refers simultaneously to the appearance of witnesses in media reports, the possibility of media themselves bearing witness, and the positioning of media audiences as witnesses to depicted events, configurations that are amenable to handy summary through a tripartite distinction, with apologies to Abraham Lincoln, between witnesses in the media witnessing by the media and witnessing through the media so there you go in by and through by and through right so so since that time i think uh in a way both of us were were kind of uh pleasantly surprised that it took on its own life this uh, concept and this framework rather and we've i can't i i i made a kind of a brief or a short uh, list of areas in media and communication, not only media and communication, that, that took up some of the aspects or the whole framework of media witnessing. And so we found, we found like recently a, a lot of work done in journalism, humanitarianism, and human rights advocacy, memory studies, media theory, visual communication. Those of us who are still working on questions of testimony and witnessing, media and religion, distant suffering, and so on, and memory studies uh, also have picked up on on some of the on some of the questions and 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 uh, issues that we raised there. So it's a kind of a small and consistent industry. I think that's true, and I think perhaps to understand that we have to do two things. The first one is to look explain a, 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 um, in a little more detail how um, we came to this topic because it wasn't that we have plucked it out of thin air. It was around. And it became particularly prevalent, for me anyway, as a result of a couple of individuals' work. So that's the first thing I think we'll explain in a minute, how I think we both came to it at around about the same time. Right. To how we came to the concept of media witnessing. But also because I think that the concept of the witness or the testimony has become culturally prominent, increasingly cultural, culturally prominent. Uh, one could say certainly during the 20th century, but in particular in the period after the Second World War, in a number of different fields. Uh, and that has to do with um, questions relating to the catastrophes, especially historical catastrophes of uh, uh, the war, the Holocaust, other forms of uh, other catastrophes in genocide as well, um, and a historical record, for example, of uh, uh, Stalinist Russia, and uh, the, the sense of, uh, of crisis around how one remember, how one reports and remembers things that for many are unrepresentable or are or their recollection in itself 
produces a kind of uh, an incommunicable shock. So I think that the, that idea of the witness as a central player on the cultural field of the late 20th century also contributed to, if you like, the importance of, uh, of media witnessing for a number of other fields as well. So maybe we, do you want to say a little bit about how you came to the idea of witnessing and media witnessing, and then I'll talk a bit yeah, about mine. Sure. And this really links to what to, to the to, to the background you just uh, you just gave. In, uh, I was working in my uh, in my doctorate doctoral uh, project more about philosophy and communication ethics, mainly on Levinas, and from that I moved on into more philosophical questions of witnessing. But I ultimately found myself taking a case study which had to do with uh, the Eichmann trial and the appearance of the witnesses in the Eichmann trial and what kind of a communication or communicational act event that was. I did work on the role of radio during uh, the broadcast from the Eichmann trial and this kind of, you know, brought me to think not only about witnessing but how we can actually rethink witnessing in terms of media and media in terms of witnessing and that came around the time that I found it like up, up in the air. There was a book by, right, by John Ellis called Seeing Things. There was a, a follow-up by John Peters, a paper called Witnessing. And this, there was a sense that this, there's something in the air that, that requires a kind, of, you know, a kind of more profound take on witnessing and, and specifically how witnessing converges, in what way it converges with media, with questions of media. So, uh, this is where I just came into the department and kind of, you know, tried to find new avenues for me to uh, work in and to work with other people in the department. And so we kind of, you know, serendipitously found that we're like up on the same, someday, some, somewhere on the same page on that. Then I think we thought of putting together a panel mm -hmm. with what, for the International Communication Association, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2006 or seven or something. And that, I think, was our first meeting thinking on media uh, on media witnessing with other people as well yeah some of some of those that i just mentioned were there john peters john ellis uh, gunther thomas uh, elihu, elihu Katz, i think was also involved in some way right yeah. daniel diane daniel diane of course so people we were like you know meeting talking with uh, exploring ideas with, and that that was our, our immediate tamar libis people that were in our immediate vicinity uh, we were like, you know, working and kind of, you know, playing out those ideas. Right. Uh, so I think, um, if I think of how I came to it, it was through a slightly different process. And I came from it from two contradictory angles. And I still haven't completely re resolved that contradiction even today. Uh, one angle was from research that I've been doing on the media coverage of terror. And in particular, the second intifada. Uh, which was going on in Israel at the time, uh, but also 9-11, um, uh, where it becoming increasingly clear to me that media themselves were acting as witnesses. And here I was thinking of media as producing reports about actual events for those who were not there, but also for those who were there. Because certainly in some of the events of terror, the testimony that was uh, often given was of people who would say, there was a big explosion. It was awful. I can't describe what I saw. And that I can't describe what I saw, at the one, at the one hand, showed that they were witnesses to the event. On the other hand, paradoxically, defined them as non-witnesses because they couldn't translate their experience into discourse. But the media was translating the discourse, uh, the experience into discourse. So that was the first angle that said to me, wait a minute, the traditional idea of the witness as someone who is in the moment, in space and time, and then after that produces discourse about the event for others who were not there, has shifted. Those who are there are not necessarily the witnesses. That sense became even stronger about 9-11, where we discussed that in the book and we described that, we described the idea that 9-11, uh, those who were there were not designed to be even the primary witnesses of the event. The primary witnesses of the event were global television audiences. Those who were there were primary victims of the event. But that's not the same as being witnesses. Global television audiences, and they were structured as witnesses by global television. 
And that was, that was a different uh, understanding of the role of the witness in relation to witnessing and of the role of technologies in relation to witnessing. So that was one direction that I came to it. And the other direction came out of work that I'd been doing on the aesthetics of television more broadly and of um, the, the problem in visual communication of inattention, that much of the way in which visual media communicate is inattentively by creating the ground of experience and of familiarity, uh, which through habitual repetition we take for granted every day, but is not necessarily foregrounded in particular moments of intense experience. And that contradicts completely everything I've just said about, you know, about <laughs> terror and 9-11, yeah. which are clearly intense experiences. Um, so I was then became interested in, in, a, in a phrase that John Ellis used, um, which he calls mundane witnessing. The idea that witnessing is something that just goes on and on every day. It can be traumatic, but much of it isn't. It's something that the media do almost bureaucratically, regularly. Uh, and, and the fact that they do it is historically new because what they are doing bureaucratically, habitually, regularly is exposing us to the lives of distant strangers. And this is, in the human experience, new. Um, so those were the two different angles I came to it for, and I think it crystallised around a confrontation, I think, between John Ellis and John Durham Peters. Um, John Ellis in seeing things, who I've just talked about, emphasised the mundane uh, novelty, if you like, of uh, witnessing, and John Peters, who emphasises witnessing as something special and distinctive in human experience and, and subject to a hierarchy in which being there in space and time at the event is a privileged moment and involves moral responsibility. Whereas uh, broadcasting media, for example, and other forms of mediation may provide secondary ideas, secondary models of witnessing, but they don't have that same kind of intensity or the same kind of, mo they don't carry the same kind of moral burden or ethical burden that being there in the moment does. So that's, those are, that's my different kind of, you know, my different takes on where it, on, on, on how it worked. Yeah, we also have it, in, I think, in the book itself, but it, it, it bears repeating, perhaps, that it's like we had uh, two horizons, two contradictory horizons that we were, that we were placing this in between. One was, on the, on the one hand, Holocaust, on the other hand, 9-11, and another axis was between intensity and background experience, kind of, kind of a, a taking for granted the mundane, as you said. Yeah. And, and all that brings, brings about also new uh, moral challenges, uh, new moral questions. So in, in that respect, also, I, I would uh, also mention, uh, would like to mention uh, Luke Boltanski's book that was also out around the same time, which dealt with the questions of distant suffering and what, how does it place the, where does it place the audience in with respect to uh, faraway strangers, especially when what with representations of suffering and misfortune. So all that kind of you know was put into the same, into a, into the framework in different ways, and from it I think still a lot of uh, questions remain. So um, how about now, let's think together about what we think is still alive in how we thought back then on media witnessing and what, what is dead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's start with the dead. I mean, <laughs> as befitting witnessing, let's start with the dead. Okay. What do you think is, is, is most dead about it? I'm not sure, actually. I think... Really? I, okay. I, I'm not sure what is dead about it. I did think that I developed an idea that much of the mundane witnessing that was uh, carried on by media was connected to the aesthetics of broadcast media, especially radio and television. Because radio and television are media that go on in the background. They are phatic media, they express connectivity through to, of audiences to the world beyond without necessarily being intensively watched or listened to. One goes into a house and often the television is just on or the radio is just on. 
It's a form of uh, a companionship, if you like. Not just for elderly people, although we know quite often that that is true for people who, who live alone and are elderly. Um, and I was interested in that. I was interested in this because, to me, it, especially with regard to television, this was a, a new form of witnessing. I called it world witnessing. It was a witnessing that the media performed routinely, which we did not have to engage in directly, uh, and which did not require a great deal of attentiveness. And what that did was it provided frameworks in which we became habituated to the images and voices of distant strangers in our intimate spaces. I would hear voices of strangers and I would see images of strangers in my living room and it was not threatening. And that mm -hmm. produced a new form of, if you like, civil inattention of morally empowering indifference to others. It was based on not caring intensively about the other. Now, for a while, I thought that that had died, that that had gone away in the age of digital media, which requires far more deliberate interactivity, which produces forms of intense uh, distraction and, if you like, alertness on the part of the user, which, which um, requires, which, if, if you like, uh, moves the burden of ethical and moral, moral response onto the minute gestures of our hands and eyes when we are invited to respond to a, uh, a video that we see on YouTube or a post that someone posts on Facebook about the struggles that they have with their lives, or even if it's simply to, to click on a um, petition online. Uh, and therefore not doing any of those things, not clicking on the petition, not forwarding uh, a post about someone suffering to other people so that they share in the chain of witnessing, not doing those things is in itself an ethical decision. And I'd come to the conclusion that what had died there was that sense of indifferent uh, connectivity that mass media used to provide, and it had uh -huh. been okay. replaced by an intense, embodied, continual ethical demand, which I could do something about simply by moving my finger on a trackpad or touching something on the, on the, on the screen of my mobile device. Um, and then not doing that was also an ethical decision. So it was, I, I think that I thought that there be, had been an intensification of, if you like, witnessing uh, and of our responsibilities of primary and secondary witnesses because of digital media. Um, right. I'm not sure that that's completely true. I think that the older forms are still there. But that's, right. that's, that's what might have died or at least been pushed aside, that old idea of routine, indifferent media witnessing. Right, right. Well, you really jumped right in, into, into the, thi into the okay. midst of things. <laughs> now, I was, like, I, was, I was trying to think also about how we approached the, the definition itself and whether today, if we, if we were to do it today, uh, would that we would would we still subscribe to that definition? And maybe it will surprise you, but I won't. I wouldn't uh, subscribe to it. And specifically, I won't. I don't think that now. Well, let let me put it this one, this way. What I what is most dead about it, I think, is mass communication. Oh yes. So yeah. our, our our subtitle, right? Yeah. And it was although it was uh, not long after iPhone and. The first iPhone, I think, was you know just, just out and, just before and, and then, yeah. social media. But we, I, I think at least I was. We were kind of cl clueless about it, yeah. right? I don't think it played into it yeah. so much. We do have digital uh, photography, digital camera in it, and stuff like that, right? But social media was not really social media was, hadn't really taken yeah. off properly. But yeah, were... that's right. So so we didn't figure that in. Yeah. And this is, I think, why we were thinking about in, by, and through as two, as three distinctive modes. And today, it's just, you know, it's one and the same. It's, it's, it's collapsed. I yeah. don't think we can make that distinction anymore uh, with, with, with social media. So the, the, the in, the by, and the through are intertwined. And this is, I think, uh, where uh, it's clear that a lot has changed and... It's not only we were thinking about television, we were thinking about mainly, you know, visual media and, and, and so forth. But clearly with social media, and there's a lot of work that has been done on that 
it has it's it's changed and we did a couple of papers uh since yeah. that try to actually to uh rectify <laughs> that uh, you know our lacuna our original lacuna in that and and uh and then we developed a more i think a more um a more relevant for now at least uh idea of media witnessing when we took it more to towards uh, the idea of assemblages and how it redefines and uh, interacts with with categories of time and space and what is the event yeah how do we consider an event vis-a-vis -vis what we then perceive right as a media event how media witnessing redefines what is a media event making it spreadable and 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 multiple this is i think actually what is to me most alive about media witnessing is precisely the idea and the engagement with the question of temporality and how media redefines temporality and the temporality of the event and how an event actually cannot be uh neatly kind of you know differentiated into presence absence here there now then yeah but media kind of you know there is there are there are multiple levels of, exper of experiential levels and temporal levels involved in 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 witnessing uh in principle but in, in uh, when it comes to media witnessing uh more generally so i think this is this is to me a, a, a still a very interesting uh 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 subject to explore and i do more about it i think in my in my in my book also uh this is more in terms of how trauma as a as a kind of memory is involved in ha in, in, in in has a kind of a media logic to it how what what, what does it mean to uh to remember to store a memory to process it to disseminate it whether it can be transferred and so forth so the the, the space and time that uh, the temporal issue i think is very much alive and perhaps even more important now when we, uh, if I, if I can also jump ahead and say, well, a kind of a future direction is how do we account for algorithm and algorithmic culture uh, with reference to uh, to media witnessing? Is there any kind of you know what would be uh, our interface with the between these things? And I think there's something there. It's not completely fleshed out for, to me mm -hmm. for me, but something I think uh, is there in how we can perhaps uh, uh, rethink how uh, social media and, uh, and, how, and digital uh, media reshape the idea of witnessing. Right. So I think, um, so I'd, I'd like to follow up on that. Before I do that, though, I'd like to backtrack a tiny little bit just to mention a couple of names who I think were very influential yeah. in some yeah, of yeah. this and who provided some of the forward thinking as well in the lacuna. One is Lily Chuliaraki's work on the uh, on distant suffering as well and the mediation of suffering in particular, um, which I've always found very provocative. And I, I've quite often found it extremely useful to disagree with her. But she's, uh, no, I, which is an important thing. Important, it's important to find people who, who give you really good things to, to think about. And, and Lily, Lily's work on the mediation of suffering um, uh, and post-humanitarianism in relation to into media has been very important there. The other person were, the other two people, I think, were actually Tamara Shuri, who you co-wrote an essay with, but also had a very important essay on, on uh, um, she called it mnemonic witnessing, or but that referred to precisely that area that we were, I think, missing in the book, and that was the role of digital media. And Carrie Anders Papadopoulos, who wrote about camera witnessing, um, was one of the first people to really take into account the distribution uh, of, uh, of, of cameras on smartphones um, and, and the role that that played in producing new dispersed networks of activist witnessing um, uh -huh. uh, uh, and both the politics of that and the aesthetics of that. Um, how would I develop this idea? Well, I, I began to, I think, hint at it in the book that I just published. I think it's not just about temporality and where the uh, and what the temporal boundaries of the event are. I th I completely agree with you, but I think there's another dimension of that, and that is the sense of space is also very important. Where is the event happening? Uh, I, I, and the reason I'm asking that is because I think that um, 
in the conditions of ubiquitous digital media, uh, where increasingly our social life, our everyday life, is enacted through our digital devices, on their screens, on their interfaces, through the platforms that connect them, um, digital platforms themselves become worlds that can be witnessed. What do I mean by that? I mean the space of the screen is now something that can be recorded. In fact, we're doing it now because we're conducting this uh, podcast partly through uh, Zoom. Uh, screenshots are a new genre which use the rhetoric of photography to produce, uh, in inverted commas, evidence of things that have happened in digital worlds. So that when Trump tweets, that tweet itself is an event. The tweets around it and the retweeting of it are an event. When Trump takes a tweet off his uh, Twitter feed because it's embarrassing, and he's done that on several occasions, the screenshots that record the tweet that he put on screen are witness, if you like, or their testimony, their right, evidence. That's, that's media forensics. It's a, well, it's not just about media forensics, because also um, uh, screenshots of people's WhatsApp conversations. Uh, have themselves been turned into, have been themselves been recycled and reused in the mass media, in particular around tragedies. So when the uh, um, the high-rise tower in London went up in an inferno of flames, and uh, um, many scores of people uh, uh, were killed, there were screenshots of their conversations of their final conversations on uh, uh, on social media which were also released which became available for public view so much of our lives are lived on digital media that the the digital world itself has become a witnessable world through digital tools um, and that also varies from individual to individual because what I see on my screen on a particular time is different from what you see on your screen. It's subtly different, uh, but nevertheless it's unique. So it retains that sense of the flux of the real physical world, if you like, which is frozen in a unique way by a particular photographic image. Here the flux of the digital world and its spatial difference in the sense that my screen is not identical to yours is also maintained and reiterated. So it's the digital has itself acquired um, the the witnessability that we previously ascribed to physical worlds um, yeah. in its own right. So I think that's another aspect uh, which is worth thinking about and developing. Yeah, and, and I think what you just said is also in a way scalable. Yeah, in the sense that what what you're describing, what we would have like as an experience as, as our experience in front of the screens, but if, if we scale up, we get to a phenomena that we that we described as assemblages, right? So it's a kind of a moving, moving and flexible, uh, ongoing uh, event or eventhood, really, rather, right? That it's that that has its own space and time, and it's shifting. It, it, it doesn't necessarily have has one focus or one focal point or right so it it would it would start somewhere and it would go another way and it would fade and come back in and so forth and and to take it uh, to take another perhaps uh, dimension of it is that i think what you said about space can also be reflected back again to time and temporality because uh, we can see it recently especially uh, how some of our ideas in media witnessing reflect back on Holocaust witnessing with the development of projects that use uh, uh, digital platforms to recreate testimony. Uh, one, one project uh, called uh, Dimensions in, Testi in Testimony that uses uh, holograms and, algori and, and algorithms to recreate uh, a, a live conversation with a survivor, uh, in a way, we come back to to, uh, to the to where we started off uh, with with the question of witnessing. But we cannot go back to it because it's also change. It's also changing with the with the new media that we're like that are being adopted to uh, redefine what is Holocaust witnessing. This also is not a stable thing. This is also being uh, uh, redefined as we as we 
uh, incorporate the new platforms. Uh, Also in terms of space and time. As it's usually the case, you know, once you start thinking about it, you can find media witnessing everywhere. Absolutely. I, I think, but I think that that's not just because um, you know we're we're particularly interested in the subject, and therefore we tend to see it everywhere. Um, that's what. That's at least one. That's one, one example. Reason. But I think it's to do, and I hear I'm going to use a uh, um, a uh, an inelegant term um, yeah. from uh, media studies, uh, but I think it's a very useful term, and that term is uh, deep mediatization. This yeah. is the term uh, that Hep and uh, that I just happened Nick Caudry uh, use. Mediatization, of course, is not new. It's an inelegant no. term that came out of some thinking among uh, European scholars about the increasing um, penetration of uh, social life in general and also uh, social institutions by media uh, over a long historical time spans, among other things. But Hep and Caudry uh, uh, advocate a position, which I think is right, um, that it, it is impossible in uh, certainly in, in advanced uh, advanced in certainly in in uh, uh, what we traditionally call the global north or Western cultures to dissociate social life from media and, and mm-hmm. more to the point that uh, uh, media uh, ubiquity and penetration of social life uh, means that social life is not only unthinkable without media but that it is uh, ordered through media practices. Um, they don't, it's just not technological determinism. They don't say that media run according to technological logics which themselves are impervious to social framing, not at all. But there is something crucial to the way our social lives have become ordered. And, and I remember a discussion with one of them where I think it was Andreas Hett, and I, that disappears in the book too. He says, well, even, even our dinner, our dinner uh, uh, with our family is now mediated. We can coordinate with our kids who are sitting in different rooms of our apartments through WhatsApp when they're coming to dinner. And I just did this the other day. I wrote to my kids on WhatsApp, dinner is ready, come down, okay? (laughs) Or we'll be eating at 7.30 and they'll say, in other words, we are using media platforms to coordinate interpersonal relations. And the the interpersonal now, it's not that it's subsidiary, but it's now part of a much wider range in which media determines social life. And if that's the case, it's not surprising that media witnessing the, which again we can we can still reduce it to this idea of the of the transformation of experience into discourse, or, or the construction of experience through forms of mediation and discourse for those who are who are ostensibly not part of the event, um, mm-hmm. is uh, is itself changing. Media themselves have become ever increasingly and microscopically part of our everyday lives. So it's right. not surprising. So, that so 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 today we might have called it the mediatization of witnessing. We may right? have the called it that. Probably not because... <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but that's, that's the idea I mean, in the sense that media are, are the deep, deep ground in which we are yeah. thinking of our social lives. We cannot be social without being, being, doing it through media. So media already figures in our social lives and they are inseparable. And it, it would, it's, it's only uh, to be expected that the witnessing would also, uh, would also go along these lines. Yeah. And yeah. Certainly, I think this is, a, this, is a, this is what we're seeing with deep mediatization, yeah. which I think, uh, in a way, uh, I think we were thinking along these lines back then. But, but, but it, again, it was a bit too early to uh, realize where it's going. Yeah. I think so. It's it's it, yeah. It's it's the mediatization of experience for sure. That's one part of it. But perhaps the I, I guess the more complicated part of the question is that for witnessing always has a moral yeah. horizon to it, right? However you want to approach it, and this is I think uh, the most the more difficult question. So given the deep mediatization of of, of witnessing, how that feeds or reflects into or and onto uh, our moral stance in the world. What, what, is the, what, what, what is the morality of it? What's different about the morality of it 
This, I think, is, remains to be clarified. Yeah. Well, I think that, firstly, this is a really important point, because one of the things that does get confused sometimes, including in my own mind and in my own work, I think, is the distinction between witnessing and recording. This is, you know, so much of what we do on media, again, including our conversation now, is recorded sometimes deliberately, but much of the time not deliberately. It's, it's recorded, and that technical act of recording in and of itself is not sufficient uh, for an act of witnessing. Um, even if that witnessing is mundane, it requires um, some kind of moral dimension. Uh, which is why, by the way, it's very easy, in a sense, to say, well, OK, the moral dimension comes about when there are times of crisis, OK, when I am required to act. I think one of our original points was well, that's part of the condition of being modern, if you like, is that you're now continually addressed by the lives and suffering of others in ways that pre-modern peoples were not, uh, certainly, of certainly not by distant strangers uh, and the requirement to react to distant strangers. So... So what remains of that moral framework in the contemporary period of the, the ubiquity of digital media and deep mediatization, that sense in which everything we do now, every aspect of our social lives and of our very existence is caught up with media, is an important question. That's why I think that this idea that it has, it has become intensified and much more significantly embodied than it was in the past is one of the ways I think it's changed. It's an intensification, which we don't often recognise as an intensification, but the idea that we are called upon to respond, and in the age of mass media, our response would not be on the, through the same technologies uh, which brought us the initial demand. I would see something terrible on television, and I could not respond on television. I would have to write to someone, go to a demonstration, do something else as a response. Now, the very platforms which make the demand upon me provide me with possibilities for response. They may be not sufficient, they may need, but they do provide me with possibilities for response. And therefore, not availing myself of those possibilities by simply clicking on the mouse is itself a, Again, uh, uh, a, moral, uh, a moral issue. So I think it's that uh, intensification of moral demand and the availability of immediate moral response um, that uh, distinguishes the contemporary moment, if you like, from the era of mass media. Um, at least that's one of the distinguishing features. We both use the word moral and ethical kind of interchangeably, but actually what I'm, I'm thinking is a shift from morality as, uh, um, uh, to, to, to ethical relations. Uh, and here I'm using Avishai Margulis' useful distinction between morality as governing the thin relationships, the weak relationships with distant others, which I think was characterized largely by the era of broadcasting, for example, mass media, to the increasing prevalence of the ethical demand, ethics governing relations with those who we experience as closer to us, obviously family and close friends, but even beyond that, the sense of a personal individuated relationship with a distinctive other. And, that, that, and I think that that's a shift to a kind of embodied ethics as opposed to uh, a more, uh, a broader, indifferent sense of, of morality um, that characterized mass media. Yeah, th that distinction, I think, was very important to us when uh, we just started to think about it. And, and what, I, I, what was always, always interesting to me about and, and helpful in that distinction is that I think it really, uh, it, it really doesn't hold <laughs> in the sense that uh, uh, where the, where the where, where the actual moral slash ethical moment lies is, is precisely where the two kind of, you know, collide into each other. And I, this, is, this is what I thought uh, to begin with, but I think with, with social media, we, we, ha we can actually sense that collision of the moral as the universal and the ethical as the immediate. Uh, in our everyday dealing, I mean, it, the immediate becomes universal and vice versa. And it's, it's, at least it's not as easy to differentiate and to make it a kind of a clear-cut distinction between those that are far off and for, for whom we need morality to tell us what to do 
And those that are close by and are primary groups, those that we have uh, thick relations with, uh, these I don't I don't think they ever kind of you know existed as as separate categories. I think they bleed into the other, but with, uh, with social media and digital platforms, certainly it's much vaguer now. And this, I think, uh, is, is very clear uh, in terms of how to look at uh, media witnessing nowadays. No, I think that's absolutely true. That The distant other was once um, a voice or an image uh, produced for us to individuate larger social groups and larger social problems. Uh, we didn't, there wasn't a sense in which we could get to know them uh, within what we experienced as the framework of everyday acquaintances and encounters. Um, and now uh, that has changed, that distinction has changed. The distant other can become part of our everyday frameworks of encounter through social media. Right, and, and our response also, as you said, becomes something that, that also has, takes a for, the form, right, of them immediate. It, not necessarily that it is immediate or unmediated, but it takes a form that has more of the, uh, of the traits of an immediate relation. Uh, one thing I think perhaps we haven't mentioned and we should mention is the ways in which other thinkers working today, younger than ourselves, oh, that's right. in many that's cases, that's right. are uh, producing new understandings of witnessing and taking mm -hmm. it in really interesting new directions. And there are two people I think that I would want to mention. Uh, one is uh, Sandra Ristovska's work on... Um, on uh, strategic witnessing. Absolutely. And this is a really important intervention because what she talks about is the way in which um, non-governmental organizations, large uh, institutions in particular, the media, but also international courts, have created uh, the possibilities for thinking about witnessing strategically. How right. do you produce the conditions in which ordinary people can use forms of witnessing through media technologies in effective ways politically. Right. It's uh, the, the professionalization of uh, witnessing. It, it's a professionalization, and it's professionalization in two particular directions. One is the professionalization in terms of the technical requirements now uh, um, uh, established uh, by legal institutions. What constitutes evidence uh, in uh, an amateur-made video of uh, humanitarian, uh, uh, of uh, the breach of, of a humanitarian code in the event that the person taking the video cannot themselves testify uh, because, they are, because they have been killed or imprisoned or whatever. So uh, there are new organizations. I think she, along with other people, have focused on, for example, the organization called Witness, which train people uh, in the conflict areas to use media in ways that will conform to the evidentiary standards being developed by courts. Uh, at the same time, they also train them to make those same uh, uh, videos um, in line with the dramatic, if you like, uh, um, narrative and uh, aesthetic standards required of mass media, of traditional mass media, if you like, television, television news. Uh, or other media outlets, so that they are of a quality which other, which mainstream news outlets will then want to use in their own broadcasts. So these two things come together as what she calls strategic witnessing. That's right. The witness mm -hmm. is not a no longer a kind of naive um, uh, position from which one is suddenly uh, uh, able to describe uh, events to others, or even a traumatized position. Mm -hmm. It is a position constructed through the meeting points of institutions and practices mm -hmm. and technologies. So that's her. And the other person who's developed a similar idea, although I think emphasizing less the um, uh, institutional dimension, is, is Meta Mortensen's idea of connective mm -hmm. witnessing, mm -hmm. which is about the, sing the, the significance of the way in which witnessing now has a, uh, a distributive logic and a distributive value across social media, uh, the ways in which it can and cannot go viral, the ways in which it can and cannot um, feed into memes, for example, mm -hmm. uh, the ways in which it can draw upon the salience of uh, traditional iconic photographs, 
Uh, and she's, she's introduced this idea of connective witnessing, along with the idea of um, a connective action, another term which is developed, to talk about how witnessing has shifted along with the modes of political activism, away from presence in the streets, that sense of collective solidarity uh, produced in traditional organisations, to a much more distributed, technologically enabled, and often highly affective right. uh, form of communication, um, rather than uh, being, if you like, merely evidentiary. That's right. So, uh, so uh, those two ideas, strategic witnessing and connect connective witnessing, but in recent work, I think are very important mm -hmm. developments. Yeah, I'll just mention briefly also an interesting work uh, recently by uh, Jonathan Gray called uh, on data witnessing and how actually collecting that data or uh, what we would call database being uh, produced by Amnesty International and the way that uh, this, uh, they, they're trained, their decoders are trained to, uh, to decipher uh, the data they collect, how, what kind of witnessing is involved in that. And I think this is another step into, uh, into considering the present moment in terms of, uh, of media witnessing, of taking it into far into digitization. Uh, and, it's, uh, and it's a really interesting, I think, and promising direction to, uh, to look into. Absolutely. Yes, no, that idea. I think that, that goes back to your question, the idea of data witnessing, which is a fascinating idea, goes back to the question of what, what are the role of, uh, uh, of algorithms, for example. Right, right. Um, algorithms. We know, for example, that algorithms have become very important, obviously, in what we encounter in our feeds. But the idea that um, uh, algorithms themselves are memory agents, in the sense that, for example, Facebook now, for anyone online, uh, reminds us of things that happened in the past, whether we like it or not, quite often, uh, through, their, through their algorithms. Yeah, and, and, and so it, it's uh, obviously we're, we, need, we need to keep up with what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, so there's no reason. If Facebook has become, if the algorithms of social media are memory agents, there's every reason to suspect that the algorithms are agents witnessing, of witnessing. Witnessing agents, well. absolutely. And so we, so we have to think about how that works, and that's going to be a new challenge. Okay. Okay. We've been speaking for 48 minutes. I don't we know. have. Is there, is there enough here for another paper? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's one point or the other. There will be one. I'm sure. This is, no, it's not, again, I don't think it's just simply that we, that we can talk for a long time because we're those kinds of people. That may be true yeah. too. <laughs> but I think that there is, that this is something that is continually at work. Thank you, Paul. It's, Thank you, Amit. It has been a pleasure. A pleasure as always. Ever. And um, thank you to the audience if you have if you have listened this far with us, uh, and borne witness to from afar. Um, our from afar to our attempts to grapple with some of these uh, concepts and uh, the phenomena that they describe. Thank you as well for listening. This podcast is brought to you by the Smart Family Institute. Our producer and editor are Tsli Sharon and Oidro, with help of the director of the Mount Scopus Radio Studios, Moti Barakan. Special thanks to Idana Meet Danhi for recording the opening and closing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the Smart Podcast. You can find us at the Smart Institute website or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next episode, stay home and stay smart. Stay smart.